All right. Good morning. I was sharing with the Bible study group in the back. We have Bible study every Sunday morning at 930 that uh, I was conflicted um, because I wasn't quite sure uh, how to discuss certain things with you today. We live in a pretty tumultuous time right now, don't we? Uh, the past few weeks, our country has literally been on fire in many different places. We've had some uh, very violent um, rioting, looting, but we've had much more peaceful demonstrations as well. And I hope that you can distinguish between the two. And I've had a war going on in, within me the past few weeks because I... I I see and I read and then I speak to people and I just, you know, have a lot of emotion. And you, you and I, we all know that emotion isn't, isn't a bad thing. It's not a good thing. It's just emotion, isn't it? Yeah. So what do we do with it? Well, I have a... Kids are not going upstairs. Kids are not going upstairs. That is my understanding. Does anybody want to confirm that? Kids are not going upstairs. Thank you. Um... So, uh, which also complicates things because I have some very serious stuff to talk about. Um, so, there's people that I care about a great deal that tell me they're hurting. And what do we do with that? What do we do when people tell us that they're hurting? How do we respond? My child gets hurt, and <laughs> I'm not a great father some days, so don't judge me too harshly. Sometimes I pick up my, my children and I kiss the boo-boo and I try to make them feel better. Other times I'm like, get up, stop whining. <laughs> Come on. You know, it just depends on the situation and everything, but, but I hope in, in every interaction that I have with my child, or that I have with my wife, or that I have with you, I hope that you know that I love you. That's my hope. I always, there you go, it's on cue. <laughs> on cue. Of course, he did offer him some donuts and chocolate milk, so <laughs> that never hurt anybody. That never hurt anybody. But I have some people that I know in my life that are hurting. And then uh, I'm a person, I teach math. I've been teaching math for 16 years. Um, and I'm an analytical person by nature. And so I read, I research and investigate. And sometimes it seems like what some people tell me and what I read don't always line up. And I've been having these conversations with people lately. And I'm very thankful to a sister uh, here, Tia who has helped me um, quite a bit in these conversations, but had conversations with a lot of you. My wife, my poor wife, you know, uh, it's kind of a weird moment in my life because I'm done teaching and I'll be starting as a, an assistant principal in Dallas, but I kind of have this dead time where I should be resodding my lawn and I should be building things, but I've decided just not to do any of that. Um, so I've been talking a lot to this poor woman. And just, you know, and, and, you know, sending her stuff and, and doing that to others, too. You know, I, I'm sending a lot of stuff to Daryl and Tia, poor Tia. I've just been sending her stuff and having conversations with her. But, but I'm just trying to get into this. And the, our country's on fire. There's all of these things. And, and me being a, a father, teacher, pastor, uh, I, I want to solve it. I want to solve it. So I'm going to put on my cape and I'm going to solve all these problems. <laughs> Which is ridiculous. Totally foolish. But I'm a man and we, we think such thoughts. Right? We see a problem and we want to listen for a little bit. For a little bit. We want to listen for a little bit. And then we're like, okay, all right, well, let's, let's all right, I've, I've heard enough. Let's, I, I want to solve it which is not always helpful. In fact, sometimes it's more hurtful. So what do I do when I've got black brothers and sisters 
that I respect, that uh, some of them I know well, some of them not so well, but I respect them and I feel, like, I feel like we can be honest with each other. What do I do when a black brother and sister tells me that they're hurting? They tell me that I don't understand that from their birth, they have felt this weight. They have felt this differentness. They have felt this lack of belonging. They have felt this pain. What do I do with that? What do I do with that? It's complicated business. And those of you that know me well know that I've spent my life uh, not in a white bubble. I'll just say that. Which has, I think, made me tell myself that I understand the problem. That I have enough interactions with black Americans, Hispanic Americans, Asian Americans. The vast majority of my students over the last 16 years are not white students. Um, people that I've ministered with, people that I've served. And so I feel like I have this understanding. And I think I have some, but I think I've also tricked myself into thinking that, well, I know the problem, it's here. And I haven't realized the gravity and the weight of it. So there's some kids in the room. So kids, I'm going to do my best to try to help you out here because you are in a world where people that don't look alike, we fear. It's a natural thing. If I was an evolutionary um, biologist, which I'm not, I would say it's, uh, as a shock as that may seem to some of you, I would say that it's an evolutionary development. It's a, it's a defense mechanism. We see it in, in, in other walks of life. We don't recognize something. It looks different than us. Ignorance of that thing leads to fear of that thing, which leads to hate of that thing, which leads to violence. Now, I keep saying thing because I was trying to keep it in sort of a, an other thing. But now let's talk about it with humans. People that don't look like me, if I'm not careful and I leave it that way, then my ignorance of people that don't look like me lead to fear of people that don't look like me which leads to hate of people that don't look like me because we hate things that make us afraid. We hate them because we feel like there's a power over us and we don't like it. And then it many times can lead to violence. Now, I don't think that I have much ignorance when it comes to people in this country that don't look like me. I mean, look at our church. We may not have a large black population of our church, but we do have a diverse church. And it would, be, it would be wrong if I said otherwise. I don't know the term we're supposed to use, multi-ethnic church, whatever. I don't know. But I do think that I don't know everybody very well. Even those of you who we would say are the same skin color, which many of us, even that's kind of a ridiculous statement if we can be fair. I mean, if we wanna be real, there ain't one person in this room that's white and there ain't one person in this room that's black. Right? So maybe we should start there, kids. These words that we use, that we've adopted from people from generations ago, we're going to keep using them because that's what people use. But there isn't one person in this room that's got a skin color like this screen. And there isn't one person in this room that's got skin color like this towel. Ain't anybody. Some of us may be closer to this one. <laughs> and we do, we, do, we do a lot of work to try to not be that color. <laughs> Ain't nobody that color either. Now, I have had some Sudanese friends that are very, very dark complexion. Very dark. But they're still not that. And I've known some people that were very fair-skinned. Like, they may burn up if they go outside. But they're not that towel. But kids, we use these terms because that's what our grandparents used and that's what their grandparents used. And we've got other terms too. We say African-American, Hispanic-American. We say Asian-American. Sometimes we may say Latino or Latin or Latina. You can't say that without saying it cool, right? I mean, it's, those are, some, of those, some of those terms are cool. And then we have white 
or Caucasian. And then some people use terrible terms that I'm not going to say because I don't think I need to say them. We use terrible terms to describe people that don't look like us. And unfortunately, even sometimes people that do look like us. So kids, it's weird, but believe it or not, I know most of you may not be like this because I think it, most of this has to be taught to you. Bad things sometimes. We learn good things, but sometimes we learn bad things too. And so sometimes we're, we're taught that people that don't look like us because we don't really know them, we, we're afraid of them. And then we hate them and then sometimes we treat them terribly. And we have a, a history of that. In August 20th, 1619, a ship by the name of White Lion pulls up to Jamestown with, quote, 20 and odd, quote, end quote, people from Africa, Congo area. And we think this is probably the first time that people from Africa arrive to the New World, which is what was, our country was called, North America was called. But some studies suggest that actually Africans and others were brought here even way before that into, in the 1500s. But what we know for sure is 1619. So that's about 400 years ago. And here, kids, is a difficult thing that you're not going to learn until later. But for 250 years, people that had much darker skin than I have, that have skin closer to my friend Tia, were treated like people would treat a dog, a cat, a cow, or a horse. They weren't treated as people. They were treated as subhuman. They were treated as animals. Kids, that should be hard to hear. And I remember talking to my daughter about this. She was sick about that, and that's the appropriate response. But for 250 years, our country and this, this continent, and then later to become the United States, continued on in, in, with our country's history. For 250 years, people that had skin that were much darker that either were taken directly from Africa or their descendants were, of, were from Africa, were treated like we would treat farm animals. Now, see, I say that, and that still doesn't have quite the impact that it should because we live in an age where cats and dogs sleep in our bed with us, where we groom them, where we do all this stuff. I need you to think more like a farm animal. I need you to think like when a horse breaks its leg. Do you know what we do with horses when they break their legs? We, we shoot them because we think that that's a nicer thing to do. And it is. It is because horses are very, very, they were designed to be ridden, by the way. It's amazing. God is so cool in how he creates things. They're made with these huge nostrils to take in these huge amounts of air and run fast. And they have no problem with a human on their back. Don't ever listen to a lie. Horses actually enjoy it. They were made. They were, they were designed that way. It's awesome. But they do have some flaws. And, and if they break a leg, they cannot recover. In fact, even if they can get just their hoof messed up and they can't recover. So the most humane thing to do is just is to end their life. It's called euthanizing that animal. And I say that right now and I see a lot of people already uneasy. And that's a horse. That's a horse. Not a person. Kids, you need to understand that for many, many years, people that had darker skin than me were treated like farm animals. They were pushed, they were starved, they were hit, they were whipped, and they were even killed just because they had darker skin than I do. It's terrible, isn't it? This country fought a very bloody war. You know it, it's called the Civil War. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people died. Thousands and thousands. What a bloody war. And you're going to hear from people that it was about states' rights, it was about commerce, it was about all these things. And it's a lie. It was about slavery. Now, it had to do with all these other things as well, absolutely. But it all goes back to slavery. And so, 1861 to 1865, we fight a civil war. The North winds, praise God. Right? I'm Texas to my core. It's the best state in the Union, period. But it's part of the Union. 
And just a real quick aside, if I can go here just real fast, I have no problem with us remembering history. In fact, I'm doing it now and you're uncomfortable, but it needs to be done. We need to remember our history. Notice I said our. We need to remember our history, but we don't have to praise it. And there are symbols that I understand they came, many of them came from a, a source of, would not seem like hate, but if they've been used generation after generation for hate, do you and I really need to fight for those symbols? Something to think about. I don't think it's proper for us to go to a park and throw a statue down to the ground. I think the people of that city should vote on it. I like democracy. And so if people want to vote to get rid of these symbols, let them do it. If they want to vote to keep them, let them do it. Let people expose their hate. Another, another discussion for another day. So we had a civil war. Very bloody. Families fought against families. But it ended slavery. Yes. But you see, here's something that I don't think I really thought through very carefully, and that is this. You cannot force people to change their minds or their hearts. Ever. So though we had a very bloody war, and I'm thankful that the Union won, 1866, it wasn't as if the South stopped seeing people of darker skin as equal human beings. Hate and resentment is harbored and passed on and passed on and passed on. How do I know? I had some in my family. Good people that I love saw people that weren't white and thought very terrible things about them. And we are removed from the Civil War. Far from it. So we have another 100 years, 1865 to the 1960s, where even though black Americans, by the way, I'm saying black Americans because in my conversations, that seems to be the more preferred term. I'll call you whatever you want me to call you. If you want to be called Caucasian, white, I, I, I don't care. I hate all of the terms, just so you all know. I hate them all. But I'm going to use them just because we need to have a conversation. Black Americans weren't treated as farm animals, well, at least legally. Though they were still, and again, I have kids in the room, so I've, I'm, everything is going through two filters right now. But they were still treated terribly. They were still hurt. It was a pretty regular thing to see. It was a pretty regular thing to see somebody like my friend Tia hanging from a tree. So we have 100 years of what's called uh, the Jim Crow era. And what that means is, is that even though black Americans were not treated as animals by law, even though they still were in many respects, they were not treated as equals. They were second-class citizens. There's still places all over the world like this, by the way. If you travel to India, they have a caste system, several castes, and there are people that are still treated like a lower caste. But thankfully, we never do anything like that in our, in our country. So for 100 years after the Civil War, many white Americans have tricked themselves into thinking that black Americans have it so much better than they did, which is a true statement to a point, but don't want to recognize the pain and the suffering. You've got a young black boy who looks at a white woman from across the street and he could be dead in 12 hours just for a look. In fact, sometimes not even a look. Just somebody thought they saw a look. And the rare time that there might be some sort of a trial, it was never a jury filled with people that looked like that young black boy. And many times, instead of allowing justice to take its course, even though it wasn't justice at the time, they would just take that young black boy and they would beat him so terribly that you could not recognize a human face. Kids, this is tough. You shouldn't have to hear about it. But this is your history. Just no matter your, your color, 
because this is the history of humanity. Then in the 1960s, we have, well, 1950s and 60s, we have the civil rights era. We have these amazing leaders. You've a lot of Martin Luther King quotes swirling around today. Absolutely the leader of that time, but there were many others. And we see this amazing transformation happen through nonviolent protest. We see this organized, very organized, and much of it coming from the black church of the South, organized, peaceful protests that were meant to disrupt the society, but in ways that were safe. And they were met with violence, lots of violence. Sometimes police officers and other people that we would think are good people would show up and they would hurt these people, these black people, in all different ways, terrible ways. Sometimes they would have these huge hoses that firemen would use to extinguish fires and they would point them at black children. Other times they would release police dogs. Other times they would just round up, beat, stab, burn, hang. They do terrible things. This is our history. That was only 50 years ago this movement happened. So I want you to do a mental, I want you to do a thought experiment. If people of a certain color have been treated like animals for 250 years, followed by 100 years where they were treated by second class citizens, is it a shock to anyone in this room that only 50 years removed from the civil rights movement we still have racial tension? It's not that long ago. But I'm here to talk to you about truth. And the truth is, we have come a long way. It's wrong to say otherwise. But it's also wrong if I don't say we have much farther to go. It's both. Yes, man, our country, it's not 1860. It's not 1960 either. I mean, we have progressed and I don't mean to use that in the word that's, or the way that some politicians do, because sometimes when politicians do talk about progress, it's actually moving in the wrong direction. I'm talking about good, healthy progress, where by law, by law, by law, no one of any color can be discriminated against. By law, if anybody tries to look at any of you, and because you're a man or woman, or because of whatever skin tone you might have tries to treat you any differently, they can be sued. In fact, we now have laws to where if it can be proven that you've done something wicked and hateful because of somebody else's race, we call that a hate crime. We have progressed. But then when you can see a person obvious pain laying on concrete for eight minutes and 46 seconds while another human being that looks like me obviously we have more work to do but it's confusing it's difficult right we like to pick sides and so we, we end up making these incredibly complicated issues into this oversimplified choice. There's racism and we're back like antebellum, which is a word that just means before the Civil War. It's not a racist term. I don't know what the band was thinking. They had to change the name, whatever, who cares? Because that's going to solve the problem. Or you've got this other side that's like, there's no problems. Come on, man. Stop your whining. It's nuanced. It's complicated. It's difficult. We've come a long way. We have a long way to go. The majority of people that are shot and killed by the police are white people. But there is a disproportionately high number of black Americans being shot and killed by the police. It's unavoidable. 
13% of our nation's population are black. 26% of all police shootings and killings are of black Americans. Why the difference? Now, we can talk about all the reasons why, and I, I'm not an expert. I can't tell you all the reasons why. I can't. I can't. But it's, it's complicated. It's complex. We have a problem. Can you admit that, or is that too much? Do you think there's a problem, or am I making this up? I think there's a problem. But you see, sometimes our solutions can make things messy. So when I hear this problem, what I've reacted to is a lot of research, which is good, by the way. It's good. And so I see statistics about black on black crime. I see these other statistics about uh, the lack of fathers in the black community. By the way, I hate the term black community. There's about 40 million black Americans. Do you think they all get together and decide what they do? It's a ridiculous thought. But I have learned that because of the color of their skin, they have shared experiences that they can all, they can all understand. So I'm not going to deny that either. So I think about all these other issues, right? These are the problems. Things that you've heard too. Shootings that happened in Chicago. Things that happened here. And I'm like, okay, we've got this problem, but we've got other problems. And do you know what I've learned? Do you know what I've learned what I sound like when I say that? What, what, what I'm communicating when I say these things to my black brothers and sisters is they're like, we're talking about this problem and you want to deflect and talk about this. You're ignoring my pain about this right here. So I want to be very careful here and this is where I'm really conflicted. I mean, I'm really conflicted because I do think data analysis is important. I do think there are other issues, not just facing the black community, but the white community, which what is the white community? There's 240 white people. None of you are like me. Praise God for you. We do have shared experiences though. So fine, whatever the white community, there are problems that are facing our communities. And I'm learning that the, at least the, the black brothers and sisters I've been talking to is they're like, They've told me, yes, there are these problems. But don't draw attention from this problem that is hurting us, that we have experiences with. Another thing about data. So you go and you look at how many times there's been a police shooting or just shootings in general, all this stuff. You look at it. And then there's a Maude Aubrey, which y'all probably heard this case. This is a, a young black man who on February 23rd at 1 p.m. was shot by two white men with shotguns. He was shot three times with a shotgun. Here's what's crazy about that story. When did you hear about it? So every time I start looking at these statistics, Ahmaud Aubrey's face keeps popping up in my head because here's the crazy part. He was not armed. He was jogging. We find out later that he was probably hit by the truck that those people were driving in before the video started. He was called a terrible, terrible word upon his death, a derogatory term that's used for black Americans. And none of us knew about it until some fool posted a video. And you and I didn't know about it until I think 74 days had passed. Which means over the last 400 years, 250 years of which we treated black people like they were animals, followed by 100 years where we treated them like they were second class citizens. How many times have people been abused or even killed and they're not on any data sheet So I got to deal with that. I got to deal with that. So this is complicated. It's 11.56. What, what, what am I doing? What are we doing? 
What are we doing? Is this white guilt? By the way, that's not the answer either. I haven't owned a slave in my life. My parents don't. My grandparents didn't. But have I been part of the solution? I like to think that I have. But I think part of the solution is you and I listening. And I have not, been in, I have not done a good job of that, not just with my black brothers and sisters, by the way, with any of you. It has not escaped, me, escaped my attention that many of you, or what we would call brown, do you prefer that term, by the way? I mean, I don't. Hispanic, brown, Latin, whatever term you prefer. It has not escaped my attention that the Hispanic Americans in this room, that you have also felt this. It has not escaped my attention that the women in this room have also felt this. But we're not talking about that today. But I got the answer for all of it. Listen, I can't, I, I'm not smart enough, I'm not an expert enough, and for many people, unfortunately, I don't look the part to where I can't just solve all the problems in our country. I can't, I can't, I can't do it. I can't do it, all right? But there are solutions out there. Some help, some don't. But I want to talk about the real solution. Okay? But there's an elephant in the room that I do have to address, so I'm going to address it. Kids, when someone says there's an elephant in the room, you don't need to look around. It's an idiom which means it's a phrase we use to convey something in our day. It means the elephant in the room is, if there really was an elephant, none of y'all would be listening to me, would you? You'd all be like, is he going to poop? What's it going to do? Will it let me climb on its ears? What will it do? So if I didn't talk about the elephant and there really was an elephant, it'd be awkward. So I do want to talk about something. Well, I've talked about many elephants. Do black lives matter? Yes. Of course they do. How do I know? I'm about to tell you. Black lives matter, the phrase, is as true as any statement I've ever heard in my life. Of course black lives matter. Of course they do. Of course they do. Black lives matter as a movement Interesting, not perfect, but is accomplishing some change. The Rowlett police chief last night said uh, one arm of the Black Lives Matter movement or Black Lives Matter organization has posted a thing that says eight can't wait. It's eight police reforms that they believe if police, if police departments adopted, it would lead to less um, violence against black people, less violence against everybody, but especially black people in the United States. The, the Rowlett police chief said, I can tell you these eight things we've been doing for years now. And everybody cheered for him because he was sincere. And he talked about how this begins with me. I need you to hold me accountable. And he was serious. He was talking to hundreds of people in Rowlett to hold him accountable. Now you can say that's political speech, but if he doesn't do, if he, if he doesn't handle his, his department in a way where it does seem like they are treating people fairly and equally, then he's going to be gone. As well he should be. There are reforms happening all over the place. The House of Representatives, democratically controlled, I say that because you guys know I'm no Democrat, but they passed legislation that I happen to think is pretty good. It raises the accountability of police. It lowers their immunity when they've done something wrong. It creates a national registry so that if there's a police officer that does something terrible in Garland, he can't just go across town and get a job in another department. That's good. It's talking about getting rid of, of chokeholds. Hey, that's good. This is good reform that I can get behind. So the Black Lives Matter movement is accomplishing some good things. But there's been violence too. Now, I'm not going to say that the Black Lives Matter movement is responsible for the violence. You know what I've noticed about the riots, by the way? Have y'all noticed this too? I've noticed something. 
a whole lot of white and brown and black people together. And they're almost all young. They're young. What do you do when you've got a country full of young people who have been told to be stay indoors for three months? And all of a sudden they think there's a green light to go destroy, burn and steal. That's not a black. That's a young person problem. Now, that's not dis- that's not to discount that there may be people that are doing these terrible things out of anger for an injustice, too. I hear that, but it's wrong. Remember, I'm, I'm about the truth, right? And the truth is the truth on this is very simple to me. There is no excuse to take another person's life. There's no excuse to take somebody else's business. That's wrong. And I don't think the Black Lives Matter movement is, they're not endorsing that. In fact, they've come out strongly to say this is wrong. But I don't know if the movement has been crystal on that. The phrase, true, Black Lives Matter, absolutely, period. There's no but at the end of that sentence. The movement, the organization, the nonprofit organization, I need you to listen to me because hopefully you know my heart. The organization is not godly. The nonprofit organization does not line up with good values. But don't take my word for it. You go do your research. I'm not going to spend my time talking about that right now. So what's our answer? Do Black Lives Matter? Absolutely they do. Amen, they do, period. They matter so much that people that are not black should be standing up for justice for people that are black. Period. Period. It means taking up your time and my time on a Sunday morning and talking about difficult truth. And not just once, not just when something terrible happens, but to be intentional about it, to listen and not to deflect. Are there other problems facing the black community or uh, Hispanic community or white? Yes, but there's a problem. Let's talk about it. And so that's what we're doing. But I got the answer. You know what the answer is? (laughs) <laughs> Here's your hashtag, okay? You'll notice if you read my stuff, I don't, I don't hashtag Black Lives Matters or All Lives Matter. You want to know why? Not because those, state, those statements are true. It's so obvious that they're true. But because I'm not going to be part of some weapon, weapon or weaponizing of people to divide. I'm not going to do it. I'm just not going to do it. I will stand by anybody that has a Black Lives Matter t-shirt on and that wants to protest. I'm right there next to them. That's fine. As long as they're doing it peacefully, we're all doing it peacefully. I'll stand with anybody that's hurting. Absolutely. You should too. You should too. And I don't mean in a protest. That's easy. I'm talking about day-to-day living. But here's the answer. Here's your hashtag. You matter. You matter. You matter. You matter. You matter. George Floyd sitting on concrete for eight minutes and 46 seconds. I don't care what he's done in his past. He matters. Everybody in this room, you matter. You matter. How do I know? Second Corinthians chapter five. Second Corinthians chapter five. You ready for this? Because I don't have a lot of time. Daryl's going to be mad at me. (laughs) We're going to look at verse 14. We're going to read just a few verses. It's one of my favorite passages in the entire Bible. It says, for the love of Christ controls us. Whoa. What controls us? Not some political agenda. Not some sort of financial agenda. The love of Christ controls us. Why? Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all and therefore all have died. One has died for, what that say again? It says one has died for, it said all white people, right? Did I read that right? Oh, no, no, it said all Americans, didn't it? No, it didn't. It just says, we've concluded this, that one has died for all. all. When Christ died, he died for you, for you. Sometimes when we think about this, it's so general. It's so general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Christ died for me. No, 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 no. When Christ's innocent blood was coming out of that perfect body, when he was suffering, he had you on his mind. 
God had you 2,000 years before you ever existed. He knew your name. He knew that he loved you. He died for you. You matter. Period. You matter. And he died for all, therefore all have died. What does that even mean? That means since all of humanity's sins were put on him, he was made to be sin. That's what we're about to read. When he died, all of our sins died. Man, that's, that's not good news. That's great news. That's great news. Listen, I don't have the political answer. I've got ideas. And if you want to waste three hours of your life, you come talk to me about it, okay? <laughs> I've got ideas. I've got really creative ideas. Actually, they're just other people's ideas that I've just like, yeah, that's good. Let's do that. But you know what? They may not work. Or they may be just nice band-aids. Listen, protesting, does it work? Yeah, it does. It does. It's, there's been a lot of good changes as a result of peaceful protest. But that's not the answer. You know what the problem is? When I talk about the answer, when I talk about the gospel, people think, they're like, oh, that's kind of like saying just pray about it. And some people have used that. I've, I've seen online, probably you have too. You know what? Racism is a sin problem. We need, we, need to, we need to address the sin. Yes, that's true. But we need to be specific about it. When you go to the doctor and you're dying of cancer, a specific type of cancer in a specific region, the doctor doesn't just say, you know what? You got a cancer problem. You got a cancer problem. You need to go deal with that. No, we got a specific issue. We got to talk about it. Now, we got lots of issues. And the root cause of all those issues is sin. It is sin. It is sin. And we've got a serious uh, symptom of that disease. And it is racism. And we have to deal with it. Absolutely true. Absolutely true. But the answer really is the gospel. But we don't say it just to turn people away. We invite them in. We listen. We learn because we know the truth. Yeah. Keep reading. We have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. You ready? Here's my verse. Here's my verse right here, man. And he died for all. For who? All. Oh, man. Even even that kid on that video game back there. Did he die for that kid? You better believe he did. <laughs> he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. I'll say that again. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. You know what's kind of crazy? Jesus came. He did a lot of cool stuff, a lot of amazing stuff. Oh, my goodness. He's the best teacher that's ever walked the face of this earth. We could spend days. We could spend, we could spend our lifetime just looking at what he said and we could grow and we could learn and we could be transformed. That's amazing. We can look at his miracles and realize, wow, this is a man and he's God. This is amazing. Look at what he did. He was able to heal people just by talking to them or touching them. Or in some cases, they were in a completely different city. And he said, oh, they're going to be healed. And they were. Man, that is amazing. That's not why he came. Yeah. All of that is all bonus. It's great. It's awesome that he's taught us. It's awesome that he healed people. But he came. He came. He came for one reason, to die and to be raised for you. Amen. That's why he came. That's why he's here on the, That's why he came to the earth. He came to the earth to die. He came to the earth to die. That's a weird mission. But that's what we needed. You and I were lost in our sin, totally lost. And we still are until we believe. When we believe this gospel, this good news, this great news, we're transformed. And what happens to us? He died for all. For what purpose? That those who live might no longer live for themselves. You want to end racism? I can't tell you how to end it for all people, but I can end it for you and for the people you're around. You start living for other people. Which means when my black brother is hurting, my black sister is hurting, I don't sit there and say, okay, well, but the data shows 
There may be time for that discussion later on down the line and something when we can have an honest dialogue. Don't ever be afraid of honest dialogue when your intentions are pure. But if your intentions are to shut somebody up, you've lost the gospel. But if your intentions are to listen, is to have healing, is to show them that you love them, how much that you're willing to die for them, because that's what Jesus did. And we become little Christ when we follow him. We take up our cross daily, which means we're uncomfortable, which means we serve. That's how you end racism. Maybe not for the whole country, the whole world or Garland or Rowlett or wherever, but for you and your family. My mother and my father grew up in a time where racism was much more easily seen. But they didn't raise their kids that way. It's not some it's not some miracle that I've been raised to look at people differently than many of the other people in this world do. I'm not perfect. Listen, listen, let's 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 make something real clear here. OK, I've got problems with with pride, anger, lust, uh, envy, apathy. I've got 99 problems, but race isn't one of them. <laughs> Do you know why? Because I was taught that people are people. I was I saw my mother teach people that did not look like me. I was in a church, Freeman Heights Baptist Church, that treated people that look differently the same. I have a heritage, maybe way back of racism, but I've got an immediate heritage where people were respected. Do that with your kids. People are hurting. Take your kids with you and minister to them. Let them see how you love people. And you're going to make mistakes. I've made mistakes. But my intentions are godly, at least in this regard. Listen, again, I'm a screw up, big screw up, big screw up. But in this, I've, I've, and even here with race, I've screwed up on some things. But my intentions have been godly. And so for the most part, even when I've made mistakes, my black brothers and sisters, especially recently, have, have treated me kindly. And they've let me perhaps see a different point of view. And we grow together. So that we don't live for ourselves, but we live for who? For him. We live for Jesus. Well, what does living for Jesus look like? It's serving other people because that's what Jesus is about. Jesus is about people. He's about broken people. Remember what he told the Pharisees? Why are you hanging out with those sinners? He's like, what are, who, who's a physician for? For the sick, right? I've come for the sick. Translation, he's come for everybody because we're all sick. But there's some people who don't think they're sick. They ain't ever going to go to the doctor. Doctor can't help them because they can't see him. We've got problems. We need to listen. We need to learn. We need to grow. We need to no longer live for ourselves, but live for Jesus. I'm going to keep going, even though, man, I'm way off. So I got to finish. Here we go. I'm going to finish. I'm going to finish right here, right here. Listen to verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. When you and I start living for Jesus, we no longer see people or identify people primarily on physical features. There's this concept called colorblindness, and it's become, you know, people think it's stupid and offensive, all stuff, but I understand the heart of it. People are like, I don't see color. Well, then you're not looking through God's eyes. Because God's eyes, He made us. All right, he must like diversity because he's made a lot of weird looking people. <laughs> there are people really tall with people really short, people of all shapes and sizes. And God loves them all, loves them all. He loves variety. So obviously colorblind, to see people colorblind is not smart. I'll give you a stupid illustration, but hopefully it'll help. What if I said from now on, you know what? I'm going to treat everybody like they're six feet tall. So I'm going to look everybody in the eye right here. <laughs> My wife comes by, her eyes right here. Nope, I'm looking right above her. Tall guy comes by, I'm looking at his chest. I'm going to see everybody the same. So I'm going to treat everybody equally. But then I'm not seeing anybody. So yeah, we need to recognize differences. We need to celebrate the differences too. But here's, here's tough truth. Tough truth. Watch out. This one's hot. Forget about color of skin. Let's talk about culture real quick. 
All cultural aspects are not the same. There are some aspects of culture that need to be dropped and moved past. White, black, Hispanic, whatever you want to call it. Tolerate all people, don't tolerate all ideas. That's tough. That's everybody, by the way. That's everybody. So yeah, we need to celebrate how we look and how different we are, but we no longer look at people regarding their flesh. That means I don't see them only by what I see right here, only their problems, their issues, their hangups. I see them as God sees them, as children of God, capable of being disciples of God and doing great and mighty things in the name of God. That's how I need to see people. Listen, was George Floyd a saint? Trick question. If he believed in Jesus, he is a saint. But I mean, was he a saint? Was he perfect? Who cares? It was injustice. It was wrong. None of us should be treated a certain way, period. And we need to see the humanity in everybody else, period. We no longer regard each other in the flesh. We saw Christ that way. You know what Paul's saying is like at one time I saw Listen, This is don't miss it. One time Paul saw Jesus as just some guy. And because of that, he had no problem arresting and killing Christians like Stephen. He's lying. He said, once I used to look at people this way, but not anymore. Now I know who Jesus really is. So now I look at people differently. So what's the answer? Listen, I don't have the global answer. I don't have the political answer. Do black lives matter? Amen. Yes, they do. Period. Is the movement perfect? No. Is the organization something I can get behind? No. Not the organization. But black people? Yes. Listen to, learn, support, grow from. Anybody hurting, we've got to be, uh, we've got to be right there listening. And we're not their savior. We're not anybody's savior, but we know the savior. And so black, white, or brown, whoever's hurting, we've got the best news in the world. And that is that Christ loves them. So you and I need to be more intentional. We need to be a little bit more uncomfortable. You need to find, and this is where this is almost racism, but I think it's a good thing. You need to find people who don't look like you and you need to get uncomfortable. You need to start looking people in the eye. You need to make sure that you are smiling. You need to say hello. You need to say yes, sir, and no, ma'am, to people that look like you and people that don't look like you. And you're like, but I, you're like, Craig, I'm a jerk to everybody, so I'm just going to be a jerk to them too. No, 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 no. I need you to do something different. I need you to step outside yourself. I need you to treat everybody because I learned something a couple weeks ago that there are people in our country today that pe- they walk and people won't even look them in the eye. I didn't even know that was a thing. That's a thing. But apparently there are people that walk. They won't even have people look at them in the eye. You could beat racism or sexism or ageism. You can beat all of these isms by just treating people as Christ treats them. He came to earth to die for them. We need to be willing to do the same. Amen. Amen? Amen. Christ died for who? All. All. So we no longer regard people according to the? No. Different. Yeah, they're still black. Listen, Tia is still black. She's black or brown or whatever she wants to say. And if it looks like I'm singling out Tia, the only reason I'm doing this is because we've had a lot of dialogue the last couple of weeks. We're, 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 we're on the same page here, even if we don't understand each other all the time. But yeah, she, but you know what? Tia's my friend. She's my sister, period. Yeah, she happens to be black. And I need to recognize what that means for her and for me. It means I don't understand her completely. She's a woman. I don't understand that completely. Her parents weren't born here. That means that we're different. I need to understand and celebrate all those differences. But at the end of the day, I see Tia, my sister in Christ, period, period, period. Black is a good qualifier. Woman is a good qualifier. Singer, musician, uh, psychology student. All these things are good things. I don't ignore any of them. I celebrate all of them. But that's not Tia alone. Just like all of you. Listen, if you look at my daughter and see some white girl, man, you just missed out on a great human being. If you look at me as just some white guy, you're missing out. Well, maybe not that much, but you get my point. (laughs) Race, let's not say race. Color of skin, important. Ethnic, culture, all important. But we don't regard people on that alone. We see them as Christ sees them, who is willing to die for them. He came to earth 
to die and be raised. And I didn't even get to it. Do you know what? Do you know why? For reconciliation. If you keep reading that passage, it's because God wanted to reconcile the world to himself, to bring back, to buy back, to bring back, to, to make people who were enemies now his adopted children. That's the ministry of reconciliation. That's the good news that you and I have. That is what will conquer racism, is when we realize that we're all sinners, we're all separated, but from a Jew 2,000 years ago, the God-man, not a white Jesus or a black Jesus, but a Jewish Jesus, who was God-man, died even though he shouldn't have died so that God might bring us back to him so that we all might be the child of God, children of God. Listen, is blood thicker than water? I guess it is. But the spirit is thicker than both. I'll end with this. When I went to Indonesia, I talked to people that didn't look like me. Actually, I didn't talk. We didn't have the same language. We made a lot of weird faces at each other. I did a lot of smiling. They ate weird foods. They were up at different times. Right now, it's what? Uh, midday? It's like night for them. So we're up at different times. We speak different languages. We have different music. We have all this different stuff. But you want to know what? I'll tell you something right now. There's some people I met in Indonesia that I'm closer to than people that I'm kin with. You want to know why? Because we shared Jesus. Amen. And I was at home. Not one moment was I with those Indonesian Christians and thought, man, this, you know what? Not one time. They accepted me and I was a fool. I had all these weird ideas, misconceptions, didn't know how to speak their language. I was a fool and they had treated me like a brother because we have the same father. I celebrate and recognize the differences of my Indonesian brothers and sisters. They got some awesome, weird food too, but I celebrate it. But at the end of the day, Christ died for them. He died for me. We have a connection that is thicker than water, thicker than blood, thicker than race. Amen? How do we feed racism? We recognize that you matter, you matter, you matter. You matter because Christ died for you. For you, for you, for you. You matter. Do black lives matter? Amen, yes they do. Do all lives matter? Of course they do. But more importantly than all of that is you matter. And I'm willing to stand and fight any injustice that you encounter because you're a child of God. Amen? Amen, let's pray. Father, I thank you in Jesus' name for your truth, that even in the midst of, of my jumbled metaphors and incorrect statements or whatever, we, have, we know the truth. We know the truth. And the truth is, is that you loved us so much that you allowed your perfect son to become one of us to die in our place, all of our places. Father, we're thankful. I pray these little kids will realize they don't have to be like their parents or grandparents. They can celebrate all the various shades of skin, the different heights and other characteristics of people, but love them all the same because they know that you created them all. Father, we do pray for healing. And right now that may mean that we listen to our black brothers and sisters. We listen to their pain. We listen and we learn and we help advocate for justice. We help, ad we help advocate for righteousness. And it may be uncomfortable to have these conversations. It may be uncomfortable to stand next to them because we're not quite sure what's going on. But Father, help us, help all of us to no longer regard each other in the flesh only but to see the value that you see in all of our brothers and sisters. I pray for Life Well Church. I pray that anybody feels welcome here. Not that we will just be colorblind, but that we will seek the unique characteristics of, of everyone here, that we'll celebrate it. That we'll mourn with those mornings, we'll be joyous with those filled with joy, that we'll be empathetic people. And that we will hold firm to the truth, to the gospel. Not like that's just some throwaway line, but that, Father, we hold to the truth that you love us so much that you sent your son to die and he didn't stay dead. He rose. We have a chance of life, Father. Help us to live that reality. Help us to be positive movers, positive shapers, people that bring not some fake love or some political notion, but, Father, we really 
are concerned with others, with those that are suffering. Help us to be those sorts of people. Father, we went a long time today and, and Father, I pray that anybody in this room that feels just tired or worn out, Father, help us just to learn, to grow, to move on. Father, we saw faith get baptized today. That is awesome. I pray that more to come, that we will be obedient people. We'll believe in you, we'll heed the calling to be baptized, and then we'll heed that calling to go out and make disciples by telling them they matter. Thank you, Father, for your message of hope, of peace, of reconciliation. Help us to be ambassadors of that reconciliation, not because we're good, not because people need us as their Savior. No, no, Jesus alone is Savior. But you've wanted us, you've invited us to be a part of his saving work. So help us to heed that call. Help us, help us to listen, to love, to learn, to love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.